After five fishermen lost their lives in the sinky of the trawler The Seaflower back in 1968, the wheels were set in motion to start a campaign to bring a lifeboat to Castletown Bear. At that time, the nearest lifeboats were two hours away, Valencia to the west and Baltimore to the east. But this would be a long, tough campaign before a successful outcome would be reached. The crew of Castletown Bear Lifeboat spent the first 15 years in a porta cabin based on Danish Island, an industrial island. But in 2013, the station moved to a brand new facility which was built on reclaimed land and provided by the Department of the Marine. It was officially opened on the 18th of May 2013, 45 years after the Seaflower tragedy. Access to the lifeboat is now obviously much easier and very importantly, the launch time has been cut dramatically as the lifeboat is moored at a pontoon directly behind the station. The end result is a faster response time to emergencies. The new building here includes comfortable changing facilities, showers, training rooms, a workshop and a lifeboat shop where members of the public can purchase souvenirs. Very happy with it, John. It's an excellent facility now, state-of-the-art lifeboat station. We're delighted to have it here in Castombeir. It has been 15 years in the making for the facilities and uh, for the care that we can give to people when we, when we bring them ashore. It's great to have a station with an alongside pontoon that we can bring the boat into the pontoon alongside the station and bring the people straight up into the station and uh, to help them out as best we can. Brian O'Driscoll. As mentioned earlier, one of the many favourable aspects of this new station is that it cuts the response time and launch time by a number of minutes. In certain emergencies, that could mean life or death. Absolutely, John. Um, From uh, the difference between the old station and the new station is uh, about five or six minutes of a difference between our our launch times. In the new station, the boat is alongside on a pontoon. She's tied up on a pontoon. The boat is plugged in. She's being heated up all the time. So the engines are warmed 24 hours a day. She's ready to go at at all times. We can knock five or six minutes off off our launch time. At least five or six minutes, we've brought it down from about between 10 and 15 minutes down to about six or seven minutes. And that can be so important if you're on an emergency call. Absolutely, John. If, if it's a person that's in the water, six or seven minutes is an awful long time in the water. So uh, absolutely, it's a, it's a huge difference. The new lifeboat station is, is on the pier in Castletown Bear. It's located right alongside the town. So the, most of the crew come from the town or very close to the town. So a lot of the crew can actually walk to the lifeboat station, run down to the lifeboat station in the event of a callout, as opposed to driving over to Danish Island, which always took the extra five or six minutes. And then we had to take a boarding boat from the old station out to the mooring where the, the lifeboat had been kept. Brian's late father, Billy, was a crew member of Baltimore Lifeboat Station, and his mother, Sheila, has been involved in the campaign for a lifeboat from the very start. We started really after the seafloor was lost in Kinmere, Kinmere Bay. Which was 1968. Yeah. So within a couple of years after that, we were campaigning, getting onto RNLI and all that, trying to get a lifeboat. I remember someone from the RNLI coming back telling us that we'd never be able to get a lifeboat here because we wouldn't raise enough money. And at the time, a lifeboat would cost, here it was only a few thousand, and here it was very small comparing what they are now. But anyhow, we started off and we had dinner dances and dances, barn dance. Everyone in the town helped out with supporting dances to help to support the slag. People did everything, everything they could to support. It was 
really very good. The people of Mira were very, very good to us. Back in the car, Shanachui and historian Teddy Black and I drive over the bridge, which links the mainland to Danish Island, now an industrial island. And I believe myself it's because of all that kind of vibrancy with young people getting good training and so on that this place has great hope, John, going forward. I believe it. Look at Bear Island a minute. Sure, if you came here and looked across at that, wouldn't you want to just put down your tent again and stay? <laughs> you want to be here at five in the evening now and you'd see if it's like, honest to God, you think it was the Olympics were going on or something or so much. But they do lots of things here. It is great. People learn to drive and do all kinds of stuff here. It is good. The harbour's boat, which is very famous, as you know. There's many a ship kind of strolled in there and Dunboyne, the distance there. Of course, today, people can actually see on YouTube and things, you know, the kind of conditions those trawlers go through, you know. There's a, a beautiful monument here to people who have lost their lives at sea, John. And it's just here with the, you know, with the two men holding the boat. Yeah. It's just so poignant because when you'd read down that, you'd get a shock yourself to know how many people you knew. Every time you kind of walk around here, if you take, you'll kind of spot somebody new or you'll say, God, I haven't... So it's a lovely way to remember people who have passed as well. Because nice see, monument, see, it, yeah. beautiful monument, yeah. yeah. Two men holding up a, a smaller boat with the oars, you know, it's yeah. lovely. And this is the place for the boat club as well, because Castlehorn Bear Boat Club, now the rowing club, has really done an awful lot in the last few years again. They've really grown very very strong they've won lots of lots of championships again there are gigs you know they go well, you still have the gig races yeah, the gig races the are regatta. still here the regatta yeah. is a big thing here what about the pig and pole is that still that's still going <laughs> solid and the pillow fight and the pillow fight yeah that's great there's a lot of an awful lot more John even than when you were young yeah. because families have come to live here now I think it was uh, at one count here we had 27 nationalities in the national school Yeah. when we were going there if a fella came from Irish he was he was a foreigner yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying yeah. so that was ridiculous if you think about it but the people here have have integrated very well through the fishing community and so on because as you know a lot of these people from the eastern bloc were coming when the big ships were coming here you know when they were under the USSR Nicky McGuinness and I grew up together and spent many a day at our sporting centre of excellence in the handball alley on the eastern side of the bridge. This was originally the site of the old national school for boys in Castletown Bear but was demolished in the 1950s a handball alley was built in its place Although a handball alley, all sports and recreations were played out here. It's a long time since I've stood within the four walls of this handball alley, and so Nicky and I remember younger days here. And you better believe it, John. You know it better than I do. And you can remember one day you told me I couldn't believe it. We were here one day playing hurling. Now people might start laughing and saying that it didn't happen, but it did happen. And you, were, and you were there to prove it. So this place was our, our only place for sport. There was soccer played, handball played, and we stole the show. We played hurling here. We did, and as there were no hurleys available in Castle Bear, we had to import them from, from Cork City, which we did, and we played away fine here. We did absolutely, we were so good, we were going to be picked for St. Ben Bear's Hurling Club. <laughs> That's how good we were. Yeah. Were you into the handball at all? Oh, I won a county. Oh, you won a county? I won a yeah. county. Yeah. Above, above in, there was four of us the team, Shani Butcher, Vince Power, Pierce Power, and Michal Orden. And we won the county in 1989, the West County. So I had a county Fair play. Yeah. Fair play. Well, as you know, as you know, that, not to mention my dad, he was supposed to be a good handballer, John. Humphrey. Humphrey. Yeah. As you know, so I think I bought the handball from him, John. Right. And that would have been after then when I left here because at that time we were only playing handball just for pastime. But then it got serious afterwards and obviously if you want to count it. Well, see, in 1980, John, the handball was sold quite throughout the country. The GA decided to give grants any handball so 
we got grants here, we put roofs on, we got lights installed, and from there on it took off. Thanks to the GEA for the funding. Besides yourself, did anybody else do well in handball here? Oh, well, Michal Orden would oh, have done Michal well. Oh, Michal Orden yeah. and Shawnee Butcher O'Sullivan with fierce handballers. Yeah, Pierce Lyon, Arne Mason, all them. We, we get Billy Power, who gone old fashioned and left. Great handballers here, John Lee. Great handballers. And this was uh, was an old school, wasn't it? This school was knocked down in, uh, in 1920. This is where my dad graduated. <laughs> 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 and that's going back a long time now. Like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your mum then, Phyllis, was Phyllis from Castle and Bear as well? No. no. Phyllis, Phyllis was, when Dublin were playing in the Northern Ireland, I always went to wearing a, a blue jersey. And they were asking, how come you, my mother came from Plant Street in the Liberties? Right. So I'm happy, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that now. Yeah. 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 My father was an, an army man, and he met her in Dublin, John. And that's how she came to Castle and Bear. Yeah. And Humphrey, your father, was a wonderful character as well. None better. I, I was in London when I go when a council or an election on. My father would promise him the sun, moon, the stars, but the only way he could get an election who bought him the most points. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the bottom line of it. Yeah. If Joe Swope bought him six or if he bought him seven, well, he got the vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no, nothing about houses or education no, or roads or anything like that. It was trickery. Yeah, yeah. Approximately 20 yards on the Castletown Bear side of Brandy Hall Bridge lies the Millbrook Bar, once a hotel. Generations of the Breen family have owned the Millbrook. During the War of Independence, the local IRA decided to blow up the bridge and deny access to and from the town for locally based British forces. The IRA called to the hotel and advised the Breen family of their plan. They were told that the explosion was bound to affect the hotel and it would be safer for all residents to evacuate. However, at the time, Annie Breen was too ill to be moved and decided to stay put. Her son Jack remained with her as both decided to take their chances. Luckily for them, the explosion did not go according to plan. Secretary of the Bear Historical Society, Fakno O'Donovan, explains. They attempted to blow it up, yeah. John. It was the, the, um, during the War of Independence, the, the 13th of April, 1921. The local IRA here decided, they decided to blow up the bridge because it was uh, in between the uh, RIC barracks, which had about 13 RIC constables, and the Coast Guard station, which had, which had Coast Guard officers, and um, Furious Pier, which had a small regiment of British military, the, the King's own Scottish borderers. So they wanted, they wanted to disrupt that. So on the uh, 13th of April 1921 they, under a man called Sean T. O'Sullivan from Drome, he was the area explosives officer. He had some experience making explosives when he worked in a temporary position in Alihi's mines. So under Sean T. he gave a good account of it in the 1970s. He was known as well as Jack Shandon locally. They came along in the middle of the night and put the explosives underneath the bridge but unfortunately they got the measurement was wrong. Now, for the explosives, and Shanti accounts, he, he said that it would have to be multiplied the width of the road by the thickness of the pillar. Now, the road was 22 feet wide, and the pillar was 6 square feet. The pillars were 
six square feet around. But unfortunately, the explosives weren't big enough because Sean T discovered when he was putting the rope around, tying the explosives around the pillars, that the ropes were too short. The man who was supposed to measure the bridge didn't actually, never went in under the bridge because he said there was a, a lot of water flowing in the river at the time and there was a high tide. So he just uh, took an approximate measure in his head and it was too small. So they decided in on the spot, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we'll, we'll go for it anyway. But there was a small explosion and it just took some of the pillar out, moved the pillar. So it was a good job for, you know, the public and everything locally because the truce was signed between General McCready and De Valera a few weeks later in July so it would have created um, severe problems for people in the yeah. locality. And, and the idea, I presume, was to cut off access for the British to and from the town. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, to make it hard. And, but it would have been a great inconvenience to the local people as well, to the main entrance to town. The Brandy Hall Bridge, as you know, John, replaced this bridge, this Ahakista Bridge that we're looking here, that yeah. was the, the original route into Castletown. And the, the Brandy and the Brandy Hall then... That would have come from days of smuggling, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the, the smuggling went on in this area and it, was, it contributed to local economy for hundreds of years, you know, even going back before the Sullivans ever came here, the, the people before them smuggling, the same as the O'Connells and Derry Nan. You know, without the smuggling trade, there would have been no economy here, really. I mean, there was um, it was their only way of... And it was a way as well as getting back on the, on the government, you know, the British government, at uh, exporting mostly wool, sheep's wool, and bringing in brandy and wines and uh, tobacco. A number of people in Castletown Bear previously worked for the BBC. Many people who heard about people in Castletown Bear working for the BBC were very impressed with this news, thinking, and you could forgive them for doing so, that it was the British Broadcasting Corporation. Well, it wasn't. It was, in fact, the Bearhaven Bakery Company. The BBC, as it was known as, baked the most beautiful basket loaves, Wellington loaves, cakes and donuts. The job of frying the donuts fell to Shanachy and historian Teddy Black. I started working in the bakery as a young lad with Sheila Murphy, and what I was doing was frying donuts. And it was a small little pan, and I was frying these donuts on a Saturday. It was this kind of a job as a young boy. And uh, Wednesday and Sunday, then I worked actually with your father. I was a, ki- a ticket collector. Some, all the other lads couldn't understand how I got that job, but it was the best job in town. In the cinema. In the cinema, yeah. because you got to see the two movies on Wednesday and a Sunday. Yeah. And there was a guy, he was known as Pepper, and he was a bit of a character, of course. But Pepper, <laughs> anyway, said one day, he said, I heard the black boy Ian got the job frying the donuts in the bakery and so Phyllis said why didn't Teddy Black get the job frying the donuts he said or how do you know that he said I know by the size of the hole in the donut <laughs> and I, I heard this as a child and I went down to my mother and I said what are they talking about ah she said when you grow up a little bit somebody will tell you <laughs> I just thought it was lovely and that brings part two of our programme to a close but join me for part three after the break as we continue and also conclude our two-part programme from the Bear Peninsula on Where the Road Takes Me and on C103. Mm-hmm.